The following program contains themes and topics that may be disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Any Given Day, a podcast series sharing the stories of those who dedicate their careers to serving others. On any given day, the more than 800,000 law enforcement officers in the United States witness the best of community and confront the worst of society. The profession requires a resilient mind every single day. In this season, we hear the stories of how law enforcement officers navigate the unique stress of their job from the men and women who live them. Each week, they remind us, on any given day, you face the unknown, and on every single day, you carry on. On today's episode, we're speaking with Mike Walker. He has 33 years in law enforcement at both local and federal agencies. And throughout his career, not only did he protect citizens through law enforcement activities, but he also took the time and effort to support fellow officers and their families through their toughest times. He did this through 15 years on the critical incident response team with the U.S. Marshals and 20 years with the concerns of police survivors. That's a lot of warrants served and a lot of families cared for. Mike, welcome to Any Given Day. Let's just jump right into it. I mean, what? Uh, why did you sign up to be in law enforcement in the first place? Uh, I'd gotten out of college and had been out working um, what would be classified as heavy construction on the road for a year or so. Uh, it's a guy that I knew uh, suggested he was the captain of the reserves at the Green County Sheriff's Department. He said, Hey man, you ought to come down and try it. And I'd, I'd grown up next to a, next to a highway patrolman who, uh, was from my, turned out to be from my dad's hometown. He was the captain of the, uh, troop D for the Missouri highway patrol here. So I, anyway, I always had a kind of respect for law enforcement and enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, it might be kind of fun to try. So I went down and I tried the, I tried the reserve thing. And uh, as things went along, um, I just enjoyed it. And it became more fun and more interesting than what I was doing. And being single, I could afford to uh, give up a job that paid really well for a job that paid almost nothing. I think I made $11,750 the first year. Do you have some moments in policing that were really meaningful to you and, and were had a more positive orientation to them yeah this sounds crazy but there was a this is a silly little thing but there was a family uh who lived out of town who had inherited some property in rural eastern green county which was which was kind of my area of the world and they were down for a visit and they had a uh, fairly severely disabled son and somewhere he took off and wandered off. And so I was working, I think in that time I was working probably, I was probably working four to 12. And I went out and we got started searching for him and, and we didn't find him. And for whatever reason, I just felt like I knew he had to be out there somewhere. So I stayed over at the end of shift in about, uh, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, I found him upriver on the James River, all oh, three or four miles, and brought him home, uh, covered in poke berries, which he had been enjoying, I guess. And 
you know, it was just, it was one of those few times that I ever got to do something where somebody was truly glad, you know, because most, of the, anyway, you didn't, you didn't bring a lot of joy with you. And so, yeah, it was one of those few, it was, it, it probably is more special to me now than it was at the time, simply because I didn't realize how many years of nobody saying thank you there was left to go. Do you have, as you think back on your very long career of, of over 30 years in law enforcement, both at the local level and at the federal level, some of the tougher stuff? Yeah, it's, it's incredible how many people die and how they die. I mean, they die a lots of different ways. I mean, you're showing up to do a job and you have, right. you know, training to do that and, and you've got the steps that you probably take to do it. But there's got to be some human moments that, that oh, pop absolutely. up during that time, too. This this isn't true, but it's just the way I, I, I honestly, I, every time I touch a dead body, I think it takes just a little bit. It just, I leave a little bit behind there. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I don't do it anymore. I'm, I mean, I'm glad I did it. And I think I was pretty good at it, but I, you know, I did my job and I always tried to do it very well. And I just, I'm glad I don't do that anymore. I can say that I can you know, and there are some, I don't know, I hit a stretch one time relatively early in my career, probably four or five years in. I think I went 10 or 12 straight work days. And we worked five days, eight hours, five days a week, eight hour shifts in those days. But I think, and I even changed shifts from overnights to days. And every day I went to work, I had a dead one, sometimes two, one day, three. But, I mean, it was everything from natural causes to suicide to overdose to, you know, a tragic farm accident, a guy jacking around with his tractor, and it stalled, and he was working on the tractor, and it was in gear. He got it restarted, and the brush hog ran over him. And it just, just you know, and you start thinking, man, maybe I'm the angel of death. You know, and it's just, it's, it, it, it was hard, you know, and this is true for a lot of folks starting out in law enforcement. You got to find out and figure out who you are and what you are. And uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as compassionate or as caring because I had a, you know, it was, well, I didn't understand it yet. I didn't understand. It. I thought I had to show that I was tough. Well, the reality is you don't, you just need to be. You show more strength uh, by 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 having that compassion and that understanding than you ever will by uh, trying to trying to yell at or rough handle people. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. That's a really interesting point. When you started, you were a young man and sure. you didn't have a lot of life experience. And it's twenty three twenty three years old when you started. Yep. Yep. So as a 23-year-old and you're, you know, you've had some amount of training, but you're also confronting, as you've already listed, like many different incidents in many different ways. What, was there anything that somebody could have told you at 23 that would have brought the maturity that you developed over your career sooner? Some of it you had to, but some of it, you know, you picked up from, you developed mentors along the way. You know, and there, you've, there's other, there's people you see that you think, wow, you know, I want to be like, I want to be like him uh, or her. In my case, it was him. There were there was not a lot of women in law enforcement in 1981. 
uh, <laughs> at least not in Southwest Missouri. I mean, there were some, but there were not a great deal. You got to remember this is back in the days of a beaver tail slapper and a 357 Magnum four inch revolver, you know, so I I've transitioned through, through, uh, some different phases and ideas in law enforcement. But anyway, I, you know, you got to get that. You got to burn through that blue flame. You got, you're just every, every youngster is going to have that period where they're, you know, they, they, they stand there at home and they look at themselves in the mirror and they practice that quick draw and stare at the badge. You can't help it. It's going to happen. It, it, everybody does it. I'm telling you. But it sounds like having that sort of mature, uh, more experienced or seasoned law enforcement officer along with you along the way is what helped you really absolutely. develop that. No, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And the, and the first guy I can tell you was a guy named Russell Harper with Missouri Highway Patrol. And Russ was just just a prince of a guy, just a fantastic human being. And sadly, he's one of the deaths because I was the sergeant on duty the day that uh, Glenn and Paul Sweet murdered him out along 60 Highway. And I, that was... That still left an impression on me. That's the that's the memorial band that you see me wearing on my right wrist. Is I'll never forget Russ Harper because he was really always that guy. I I wanted to be as good a guy as Russ was. I mean he was he was about forty at the time, and so I was probably twenty seven, twenty eight, and uh, we worked a lot of shifts together. And in those days, there'd be one trooper on in uh, Troop D overnight, and so it, we had. We'd have uh, breakfast together a lot in the middle of the night, and uh, there were times, you know, the only, if he needed backup, it was it was going to be one of us, and, and if we needed backup, sometimes it was him. Anyway, Russ was just a guy I admired, and he had a lot to do with it, and he had that ability to be very, very kind and very, very good at what he did without being a pushover or uh, he just, he did it well. And he, he, uh, he really, he really did it with uh, a lot of respect for the people he dealt with. And it's, it kind of began to make sense to me somewhere along in there, 27, 28, that, uh, we, we've got to, you've got to treat people with respect. And if no other reason, you got to treat them with respect because you deserve it, whether they do or not. It sounds like one of the ways you handled confronting the unknown is knowing who you are. And That's exactly right. Yep. Came at a quick age, right, to to experience, especially being local law enforcement where you were, you see a lot. You see a whole range of things that people may not even see their whole careers because you're just addressing everything. Speaking of that, it's in, you've been really, um, you know, eloquent in talking about sort of what helped you grow from a young cop to – you know, more mature, more responsive. It's mentorship. Um, what were the things that didn't help you along the way? Were there obstacles? Were there other influences? God awful supervisors who couldn't lead their way out of a paper bag. I mean, I understand there's a certain level of management has to occur, but there's not just because you're a good manager certainly doesn't make you a good leader, and vice versa. I realize that. But the uh, the lack of value on leadership that they place, yeah. Anyway, I've I've had some spectacularly poor uh, or fails to lead, and I've had some absolutely great ones. It goes both ways. There's some of both, but but 
as far as as far as really being frustrating and hard to get around, uh, poor leadership has always been a huge problem, and that's what drives, I think, what, what drives law enforcement officers towards. That helps accelerate you down the road of the us and them thing, and the us keeps getting smaller and smaller, and the more embittered and disillusioned you get, the the smaller the us is. Starts out to be just us cops and everybody else, and then it's just us, this department, and then it's just us, this squad, and then it's just you, and that's a lonely place to be. And again, not very productive. What advice would you give a rookie coming on the job today to ward off that slow pace to isolation because the tough obstacles are going to come? Yeah, well, you try to tell them it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And the thing that's kind of funny is, you know, in hindsight, you you see that they're right on. You know, the first wave of burnout is going to hit about three years. And the second wave will hit it about seven years because you'll have these these incidents will happen throughout the course of your career. And so there'll be about three years, then it'll be about seven years. And uh, then it'll go on for a while. And usually you'll figure something out to, to, to cope better. But uh, I guess, you know, to pay real close attention to your coping mechanisms. Um, and I guess I was lucky in that I always retained some friends outside the job. Um, so that was, that was always, that was always good. I always, I always at least had some friends who weren't, who weren't part of this, part of this business. Anyway, that, that was always good for me. That helped a lot. Because you talked about other topics because like what, what makes that? Yeah. Well, you kind of get you out of yourself. You know, I see one cause like, I don't see the world the same way the rest of the, the rest of the population does. I still don't. I mean, I can't walk. I walk down the street and I see something different than what you see when you walk down the street. And, and honestly, my biggest internal struggle is, is trying to figure out how the heck you people can't see what's really going on. How do, how do you not see this? Um, you already mentioned, um, you know, your supervisor, your, sorry, your mentor from before. Are there other people that you admire for how they handle adversity? Well, there's, gosh, there's so many different people I admire. And, and I take, I try to take little pieces from all of them and, and, and find the little bits and pieces that, that uh, help patch up where I'm weak. Um, like I can name a couple of people that uh, I told them this a long time ago, and I still mean it. When I, when I worry about my moral compass, there's two people that I turn to to make sure that my, my compass is set right because I have absolute faith in those two folks. Absolute. Also, they both have, they're a little better at grace than I am. I, I've got a bad habit to be a counterpuncher, and that's not always productive or the best thing. Certainly not the best thing for me and usually not the best thing for the people I'm dealing with. The listeners out there will likely recognize your voice as the study advisor that opens and closes this show or each episode of the Any Given Day podcast. And I just want to say thanks a lot. You have been absolutely invaluable to shaping this podcast. Some of the comments that you made early on were just make sure that we're talking about all the topics, not just the big deals, because it's usually repetitive exposure 
to small things that pile up for officers. And this podcast is obviously very personal for the team of people who got together to put it together as family and friends. Um, we're always looking for ways to support our loved ones, especially people who take on a job and have accepted a job that has such an amazing uh, responsibility and so many demanding factors that go into it. Um, you particularly, uh, again, just mentioning like all the work that you've done outside of just carrying the badge, have done so much to really make sure that law enforcement professionals out there know that they're not alone. And that while each person is going to take their own path, you took yours in your law enforcement career, you've seen many others do it the same as you and different as you. Um, there's something about, and, and this is probably true with all professions, but something about talking about how you handle the job personally with people among your discipline seems to be important. And why do you think it's important for law enforcement to really communicate with each other about what's happening to them personally because of the job that they do. <laughs> the first, nobody else is going to believe you. Seriously, nobody else is going to believe some of the stories that you're going to have. That I mean, some of the things that have happened to you. Nobody, nobody else will believe that. And I mean, a guy who's worked midnights for a year, you know, in any kind of population is going to be like, oh yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, there literally are people who wear tinfoil hats. There's, it's just, anyway, who, nobody else will ever believe you. And frankly, that can be an issue um, with locating clinicians to, to help because they, they either have a negative bias towards law enforcement or they have a preconceived idea of what it's like or they flat don't believe you and it's like, oh, no. You you think you know crazy? Listen, I've seen I've seen it in its raw wild form, and 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 so anyway, that's that's actually one of the issues, and I think that's one of the things that uh, that I found to be important is 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 having somebody who who at least makes every good faith effort to vet a clinician before you give them a referral. And uh, it, all, the other thing is in law enforcement today, people are a little more uh, open to the idea of uh, doing a little counseling uh, than they were in 1981 when you saddled up the horse and you got back on it. You know, is there anything that stands out to you in terms of what you've heard on the podcast so far or something that you think should be a common theme that we need to to put more attention to something that we should be talking about on this podcast. You know, the, the, the end goal, of all this is to, is to, as you get your senses assaulted with whatever the call of the day is. And it's usually, you see, I think sometimes it's not just one, you know, you get a good busy day. You can have, you can have two or three pretty good, uh, pretty good calls. that would cause a lot of people to be rocked and, you're just like, you're going so fast, you don't even have time. You don't, and that's part of it. You don't have time to process it. And, and, and it's all built up in you. But the, the biggest skill, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get to is you got to figure out how to normalize your feelings. You got to figure out how to normalize your feelings. And you got to figure out what your normal is. And, and I, I'm going to steal this quote from Kathy Thomas. 
But you have to understand it's okay not to be okay sometimes. It's, it's not a bad thing. You can be okay for a while and you're not permanently broken. You can be not okay. And then you need to work on normalizing those feelings that made you not okay so that you can get back to being okay. And, and I'll take a real quick jump back to a, to a call out outside of my agency. I was, I was sent to help another agency that had experienced a townwide uh, natural disaster that resulted in the death of several children. And um, we're in a process of of working with an entire department. And some of those guys were pretty resistant to the idea of talking through what had gone on. And my point is always to tell them, listen, it's important that you share because you may not need to, but the guy sitting next to you might need to hear what you got to say. And, And that's the truth. You might have some piece of the puzzle or, or something. But anyway, I, the, they were really pretty resistant. I mean, it was a cold group, man. They were, they were holding tough and they weren't really interested in talking to this fed stranger. And I, and I get it. I understand, but uh, I was really lucky that there was a, there was an old Sergeant. I mean, he was a Sergeant Lieutenant. I don't remember, but he was a craggy. He was an old, he was an old cop cop. And, uh, he told him, he said, listen, you guys need to talk to this. You guys need to talk to these folks. And he said, you, you, you need to do it right now because he said, you don't want to wind up like me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm an alcoholic and, you know, I've been through three marriages and you don't want to be me. You don't want to be here 29 years into your career like me. So you better start dealing with it now. And bless his heart because he cared. I mean, he truly cared and he truly knew the price. It just took him a long time to figure out the game. And I get it. I know it's, it's, it can be really hard. Thank you for sharing your story on any given day. If you're struggling or know a law enforcement professional who is, get help now. There are many resources, including the following. Call 911 if emergent help is needed. Safe Call Now is a confidential 24-hour crisis referral service for public safety employees and can be reached at 206-459-3020. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day at 800-273-8255. You are not alone. Stay safe. Nothing heard on this podcast should be considered medical advice, and its contents is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a health care provider for that information. The views expressed are solely of the individuals who share them. Thank you to the parents of Chris Dudley, U.S. Marshal Service, for sponsoring this episode. A special thank you to Ron Brooks and Ben Bodden for dedicating their efforts to any given day. They, along with Mike Walker, Mark Espinoza, Matthew Brandt, Patrick Lillis, and James Vandermeer lent their time, advice, and wisdom. And thank you to Ruben at New Record Studios for technical support and production guidance. The Any Given Day podcast is created by the families and friends of LEOs who have died too soon. It is in honor of how they lived.